and the smooth transition over to the other. It hasn't, uh, so the, we, we tested out all of our stuff yesterday and everything was working perfectly with our camera. And then we went to go live like 15 minutes before this started and nothing worked. And so we had to scramble. So big thanks to Jeremy for jumping in and uh, figuring out how to make that work. But we, uh, we, we're making it work. So uh, it is working. And I'm glad that we're able to talk this morning. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, there, I promise you, there is nobody that wants to get together and meet more than me right now. But we have to exercise wisdom. And I know this has been really hard for some of you. I know this has been really hard for some of you. Um, and it's been hard in its own way for me. But I will tell you that as an introvert, I've been practicing social distancing for literally years. So I am prepared for this. We may not have a bunker stocked with camp goods, but we know how to, I know how to stay away. So anyway, uh, this is good. And this is a great option that we have. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to continue our series in the book of John, uh, Jesus According to John. And so if you have your Bible in your lap or in your hands, go ahead and turn there. Um, if you're not watching this on your phone, you can pull up the YouVersion Bible app. And if you look down in the description, that's down below. Comments are over here, I believe. If you look in the description below, then uh, you can find a link to that if you want to download that Bible app. But you should be able to click in there and go down to the menu in the bottom uh, uh, right-hand corner for you that says More. And then click on the link that says events and you should be able to find our event and you'll have all the scripture there. Or in the Bible app, of course, if you don't want to do the event, just bring up the scripture right there uh, so that you can see all of it. Because we're going to read bits and pieces of it today as we do this. But uh, there are things in between that you might want to catch as you're going through as well because we don't have time to cover all of the scripture that we're going over today. Um, and uh, the scripture will not be on the screen for you. Unfortunately, that was one of the things we had planned, and it was really cool. And Jeremy had a really cool plan, and then YouTube decided it wanted to change the way that was working. But anyway, so you got to hopefully you have a Bible in front of you, you have your phone, you have time to pick that up and do that. And uh, uh, if you even wanted to, you could pause this video, by the way, and get your Bible ready, and then restart the video. But then the video wouldn't technically be live. And you know, what's the point at that point? So um, anyway, we're going to John chapter eight. Let me talk a little bit about it. Give you some time to get there. Um, for those of you that maybe are joining us for the first time, uh, the whole purpose of John's gospel, all right, John is uh, one of Jesus' best friends, if not his best friend, and um, he writes his gospel, one of the four gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is kind of his own thing. He records a lot of the same events, and there's no discrepancy between them, but John has a very specific purpose for writing his gospel. He tells us what that is. In John chapter 20, I believe it's verses 30 and 31, he says, uh, there are a lot of things I could have written down, but these things I wrote down, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So this thing, the whole thing is about believing in who Jesus really is, the Son of God, the Savior, and the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, those are all the same thing. Okay, And so he writes it for a very specific purpose. So what we see is him pick very specific events to talk about and details to pull out in those events. And last week we had a pretty incredible one because Jesus has been starting his ministry. And there's a lot of concern or question about who this guy actually is, which makes sense that John would draw that out because that's the purpose of what he's writing this for. And so you see that there are people that are believing him. There's people that are kind of 
half believing him. There are people that are believing in him because of what he can do for them physically. Um, and then there's this whole group of religious leaders that um, are trying to make up their mind too. Is this the savior that the Old Testament talked about? Is this the Messiah we've been waiting for? Uh, they don't know. And so there's all this stuff going on. And what's happening is that the religious leaders in particular are becoming galvanized against Jesus. So they are not going to believe in him. And Jesus knows that, at least the majority of them. They're not going to believe in him, and he knows that. And he's starting to get into these confrontations with him. We saw a really big one last week when they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery to him and said, what are we supposed to do with this woman? The law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And he's not tricked by the whole thing. And I'll let you read that for yourself or watch our message from last week. But this, this controversy is growing. Okay? And where we're going to drop in today is in John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. Jesus has just had this interaction with, this, with the Pharisees and this woman. All the Pharisees leave if, when you read that story. They all leave, but eventually, well, this is, they're kind of like they're kind of like cockroaches. Uh, they always come back, and they come back when you don't want them to. As soon as Jesus turns a light on, they all run. That's what we saw in John chapter uh, 8. Uh, up to verse 20. And then as soon as he flips the, uh, the light off, they all start coming back. Right? So that's what's happening here. And they've come back and Jesus is now talking. And this is a really interesting place. We're dropping in in John chapter eight, because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees because they came back. He's talking to the Pharisees, but he's not really talking to the Pharisees. And this is important to understand in the, the, the context of what's happening. Um, he is talking to the Pharisees, but there's a larger group of people around him that are wondering about him, wondering whether they're going to be. And so he's speaking to the Pharisees about who he is, but he already knows that they don't believe him. They don't believe in him. And so he's not speaking to the Pharisees for the Pharisees' benefit. He's speaking to the Pharisees for the benefit of all the people around him. So although he may be directed at them, he is really speaking to all those other people. And that's going to make what we read here make um, more sense as we're going through. Because otherwise, it kind of feels like Jesus is just beating his head against a brick wall with these religious guys. He's not. He's trying to get all of those people to see that there's a difference between what he's saying and who he is and what the Pharisees are saying and who they are. And the problem is that these people have followed and believed and trusted the Pharisees their entire life. And now they're putting this really difficult position where they have to decide, am I going to believe this new guy who's saying on doing all these incredible things. And I think I kind of believe in him, but he's, you know, hot off the presses. I'm not sure. Or are we going to believe the Pharisees who've always been here with us? And yes, they have their problems, but we've learned to trust them. And there are religious leaders. We know these people are from God or we think they are. And we're not so sure about this guy. And they're really trying to decide. So what Jesus is doing is he's trying to create more and more contrast between him and the Pharisees so they can make up their minds. All right. So he's speaking to kind of those two groups at once where we're dropping here in John chapter eight. Jesus starts off and we're not going to go through this in depth, but he says something a little confusing to them. He says, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't go. And they're like, well, what in the world does that mean? They actually, they were wondering if he's going to, you know, end it all or whatever. <laughs> and that's not what he's saying. But he's trying again to draw contrast and show that he offers people something that the Pharisees can't offer. All right, so we're going to jump into verse 23, actually. John chapter 8. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are from, you are of this world. 
I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's a big statement. It's a big statement. Jesus is looking at them and saying, listen, this is what I'm telling you. This is my word. This is the truth. You have to believe in me. Now, he's looking at the Pharisees, but he knows the Pharisees don't believe him. Then they're not going to, at least the majority of them. So this is for the benefit of everybody else, that he is really clear about what he's saying. Either you believe in me or you die in your sins. Now, I want you to know that the message that Jesus gave them that day is the same message he gives us today. Either we believe in him, we believe that he is the Christ, what John wants us to believe when he writes this, or we die in our sins. So they're looking at him, they're saying, well, who are they? are still confused, okay? And they're still frustrated. And so they say, who, who are you? Who do you say you are? And Jesus says, and this is in verse 28 now. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as the father taught me, I speak these things. You'll see. And we can clearly see, now they didn't know what he was saying, Okay. But we can clearly see that when he says, when you lift up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he. Obviously, he's talking about his crucifixion. He knows what's going to go down. He knows how it's going to happen. And so he's saying, when that happens, you'll know. It's a big statement. And look at this, verse 30. Ready? As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Which you say, oh man, so Jesus said, you got to believe in me or you'll die in your sins. And when you lift me up, then you're really going to know. And then all, you know, a bunch of people got saved. Well, no, <laughs> that's not actually what happened here. And it can be a little confusing because when we see the word, a word like believe, we typically think that means salvation. Okay. And so we got to be careful though, when we read through scripture and we see a word like that, the word believe is a very general word. All right. It's the word pistuo in Greek, for those of you who speak Greek. It's the word pistuo, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean salvation. It means to be persuaded. And I think we all know that you can be persuaded in a lot of different directions and to a lot of different degrees. So, you know, I, I can be, you know, if someone comes in and does a, a magic trick for me, I can be persuaded that they're a good magician, but that doesn't mean I believe in what they're doing that it's real magic or anything, or, or I can I can see an infomercial on TV and I can be persuaded and believe, I don't know, maybe that thing works. And then also I can, you know, look at my, uh, you know, my, if my, my son is playing soccer and I see him going for a goal and he's running down the field and in slow motion, I yell out, Jairus, I believe in you. And then he misses. It's still, you know, that word is a very general word. That's what I'm getting at. And um, by the way, when I tell jokes, there are a few people in the room. I'm going to need you to laugh. I really am. Thank you. See, that's helpful. I, I'm not used to have, not having the feedback from the room. I love the feedback from the room. So if you're laughing at home, just comment lol or whatever. You know, that only do that if you're really laughing out loud. By the way, the, the, I literally I was in the room with someone one time, and they were texting me. Yes, we were texting each other in the room. I'm an introvert from social distances. And so, was it you? Yeah, it was. It was Marie. Okay, so, yeah, Marie was in the room, and we were texting, and I don't remember why. But I said something. I text something, and then she replied, LOL. And I looked at her, and I said, 
you didn't actually laugh out loud. Oh, John, we got some people laughing. Nathan Rose, Ryan Chandler. All right, Nathan Rose, Ryan Chandler are laughing. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, yeah, Ashley. All right, cool. So, um, yeah, anyway, where I was. Oh, believe, right? Jairus running down the field. Okay, so um, believe is a very general word. So you always have to look at the context to see what does that mean. And when you look at the context, you're going to see this in just a minute as we keep reading. But right here, um, obviously, these people who believe, they're persuaded of something. They're persuaded to a small degree, but they certainly do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so they're just getting started. And that's an important thing to remember anytime you're reading scripture. There are words that we read and we can jump to conclusions. Not like a jump to conclusions, Matt, but like a jump to conclusions when you read scripture. Some you guys, it's an office space reference. Um, it's got lots of conclusions that you can jump to. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, but we jump to conclusions when we read, when we see words like faith, when we see words like believe, when we see words like saved, and we assume what those things mean. We got to be careful because they're generally uh, generic words, and the context is going to tell us what those words mean in that case. So the thing is, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, and he's got all these people around and he knows their hearts. So he knows that even if they say they believe or even if they're acting like they believe, he knows what's actually in their heart and whether they are believing in who he is or not. And that's also important for us to understand that Jesus knows our hearts. So we can play the game or we can put on a face and we can make everybody else think that we are this or that, but Jesus knows what and who we actually are. And at the end, you know, Jesus often says in scripture, think back even to John chapter three, verse 17, right after he says, you know, 316, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Next verse, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus' job at this time is not to judge people, but his job at the end, at the final judgment is to judge. And he's going to judge us, not based on what we have done or not done, not based on how good we've been or how bad we've been. He is going to judge us based on whether we believed in him. And John makes it really clear that that is the hinge point, trusting him as the Christ, as the Savior, the Messiah who pays for our sins. So Jesus speaks uh, in verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, again, remember, this is a very generic usage of the word. To those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, that is a very famous verse, isn't it? I bet you've heard it before. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, what is Jesus talking about? Well, he says he's looking at these people who are beginning to believe, who are being persuaded, and he says, if you abide in my word. Now, what does that mean? Now, I've been in church for a very, very long time. And every time I hear my word or God's word, I always think of the Bible, right? That's what I jump to that conclusion <laughs> that, that when he says, abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, that he means that if I keep the Bible, if I do everything that's in here, then I'm his disciple. No, 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 that's, that's not what that means. For starters, <laughs> when Jesus says this, they don't have at least this much of this. <laughs> Okay, so they don't have the, the full word of God yet. When Jesus says, when, if you abide in my word, what he means is, if you abide in my teaching, if you abide in what I'm saying, and what he's saying is, 
you have to believe in me or you will die in your sins. So he said, so if you believe in me, if you abide in that, if you believe that, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. See, one of the big misconceptions people have, they think that if they believe in Jesus, then all of a sudden they are under the control of Jesus and Jesus' whole goal for their life is to not let them have any fun. He wants to keep me from doing all of these fun things, these things we call sin. And he wants to he wants to bind me up. He wants to put me in a straitjacket. And I promise you, that's not what Jesus wants to do. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to forgive you for your sin and forgive me for my sin. So we will finally be free from our sin. So we will finally be free from that which is holding us down and keeping us from being what God created us to be in the first place. And it's only until you get, honestly, to the other side of that decision and you choose to believe in Jesus and then after that, choose to start living and listening to him and living the way that he's designed you to live, that you really understand how much freer you feel, how much fear and anxiety goes away because you have the spirit living within you and you know you're doing the things that honor and please God. It's incredible. So Jesus says this, listen, you can be free or you shall know the truth and you shall, it shall make you free. And the people, of course, who are listening to him have no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even realize that, they, that they're slaves to the sin in their life. And so they say, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Why are you, why are you saying that we would be free? Aren't we free already? I mean, we're the children of Abraham. We've, we're the people of Israel. We've never been slaves. They've had a pretty significant time in history, but they uh, they say we're, we're free. We're not slaves. And he says, oh, yes, you are. And this is in the verses that follow. We're not going to read all of them, but uh, they say, oh, Jesus says, oh, yes, you are. You absolutely are. You are a slave of sin. It controls you. And I am the only one that can free you from it. And then he says this in verse 36. He reiterates what he said before. Therefore, this is verse 36, 836. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But Jesus knows, even as he's saying this to them, that they're not going to accept him. And so he digs in further. He wants to prove the point. And he wants everybody who's sitting around to see the difference between him and the Pharisees. And so he says this in verse 38. I speak what I have seen with my father. And you, speaking to the Pharisees, you do what you have seen with your father. So I do what my, I, I act like my dad and you act like your dad. And they say, well, wait, Abraham is our father. Right, Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah. Many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord right on. Is that how that goes? Yeah. That's how it goes. It's been a long time since Sunday school, but all right, they say, Abraham, yeah, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. He, no, he's not. He's not. If that were true, all right, if that were true, you would do what Abraham would do. And you're trying to kill somebody because they're actively in the process of trying to trap Jesus, trick Jesus, and ultimately accuse him and kill him, which they're going to do eventually. But they're in the process of that. And Jesus says, you're trying to kill someone who speaks for God. And hey. Abraham wouldn't do that. So you're not, Abraham's not your father. You're not acting like Abraham. 
but you do behave like your real father. And they say, oh, yay, okay, you're right. Well, God is our father. We only have one father, and that is God. And Jesus is like, wrong again. Wrong again. I came from God. And if he were your father, you would love me. But you don't. He's not your father. And then Jesus says this, and just imagine, I would you just put yourself in the moment for a, minute, for a second. All of this chaos, the people are watching this happen. Jesus is having this confrontation. He's saying, oh, Abraham's not your daddy. No, no, no. God's not your daddy. No, 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 no. you got another father. You ready for this? Just imagine the confidence that it took for Jesus to say what he's about to say. He's right. All right, verse 44. You were of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Saying he wants everybody around them to know. I mean, he's given it to them pretty straight here, but he wants everyone around to know. You can see me and you can see what I'm doing. You can see how I'm behaving and you can see how I'm speaking and you can see it's different than these guys because their father is not God and their father is not Abraham. What he's saying is it's not for the Pharisees' benefit because they're not going to change your belief. It's for the benefit of everyone around him to see that contrast, to see that, and this is, this is the point, this is what I want you to see and I'm, I'm seeing for myself in the scripture this week. Jesus is a life giver. Jesus is a life giver. And he's pointing at the Pharisees and saying, you are life takers. You are life takers. Because the devil is a life taker. He wants to steal our joy and he wants to steal our peace and he wants to steal our confidence and he wants to get us, well, I don't know, huddled in our houses or our little emotional houses in our own life. Fear of being found out, fear of God's judgment, fear. He wants to just inspire fear because he is a killer of life. And because of that, Jesus wants us to see that he is a giver of life and that he will forgive and that he will set us free to be who we who we're supposed to be. That he'll take, he can take that fear and that insecurity and he can give us confidence and peace instead. And Jesus needs everyone to see that sitting around. And there's going to be no greater example of that than in just a short time. It's about 12 when he is going to be lifted up. And you're going to see the contrast between a suffering servant who would give his life for many and the religious authorities who wanted to protect their position and their power. And Jesus needs them to see that. Jesus says this, and then they look at him and they say, oh, they're not going to stand for it. So they start insulting Jesus. They say, isn't it true? I mean, we heard you're a Samaritan, which was an insult, of course, at that time. We heard that you're a Samaritan and that you're demon-possessed. Is that true? No, Jesus says. <laughs> Just the opposite. Okay, I mean, they're grasping at straws at this point. This is this is the point in the argument. Like I watch our kids argue. This is the point in the argument where they have no real argument left. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I don't like your face. <laughs> no, just don't like your face. That's all. I mean, I'm not saying that to you. I can't actually see your face right now. But, you know, maybe my kids, they, they don't even know. They just they claim he's demon possessed now because they don't know how to how to 
how to go against what Jesus is saying right now. And they're embarrassed, I would imagine, with all these people around them that are now they're a cockroach out of the light and they don't know what to do with that. And so they just start insulting him. Jesus says, no, no, no. The opposite of that. And Jesus says this, this is an amazing statement. Verse 51. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Again, keeping my word, what does he mean? He means if, if someone believes in him. So if you believe in me, you will never see death. He's saying he's the Christ. He's saying he's the Savior, right to their face. And they look at him and they say, what do you, how, how could you even do that? And listen, this guy's crazy. Do you, got, do you all hear this? This is the Pharisees now. They're like, this guy's nuts, right? I, I'll, how, could he say, how could he even say that? I mean, Abraham, Abraham, our father, of course, Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. They look at Jesus and they say, are you saying that you're greater than Abraham? Are you saying that you're greater than the prophets? And they think they can probably get him into the realm of blasphemy here, and they might be able to use this to accuse him. Surely, do you think you're greater than Abraham or greater than the prophets? And you can really see this. This is coming to a head. The momentum of the moment is building and the tension is rising. Jesus has gone directly at them. They've thrown their best insult back at him. And Jesus says this, unbelievable. You ready? Verse 58. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This, this, is, this is it. They've had enough. They've had enough. The Pharisees, who up until this point have been sending goons to go do their dirty work for them, the Pharisees, who up until this point have been bailing when the moment gets big, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I am is the name that God gives himself in the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be eternal and God. And they can't take it anymore. So verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him. This is the first time they've been so bold. This is the first time they have been so brash in the open and in public. And they pick up stones to stone him to death because they consider this blasphemy. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So basically it was like, Jesus like, before Abraham was, I am. And the rage builds in the Pharisees, and they reach down to pick up stones, and when they look up, he's just... <laughs> he slipped out the back. <laughs> you almost made it. I almost made it. I, my, I don't have a big enough... What is this? My feet, the distance between my feet. That's one of the... the, the <laughs> I don't have enough distance between my feet to get off screen. Okay, so I, maybe I should have just gone... Yes. Am I out? Yep. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. Okay. That works. That's the magic of, of, of movies. Uh, <laughs> leg spin. Somebody hashtag leg spin. He did it. Sure. Of course he did. All right. So uh, he basically slides out the back. But this, this is a big, big moment. What does he mean when he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am? I think this was really important. He didn't pick this, this moment. God named, give this name for himself, is in the Old Testament, 
when the Israelites, the nation of Israel, finds themselves enslaved in Egypt. You know that time in history that the Pharisees seem to have forgotten about when they said, well, we've never been slaves before. You forgot about that one time. So uh, they're slaves in Egypt, and God wants to deliver them from their bondage, from their slavery. And so God chooses a man named Moses to lead them to freedom. And the way that he does that, Moses actually grew up in Egypt, and he spent about 40 years there. And then he had to run off because he murdered a guy, and it's, there was a cover-up, literally, the whole thing. And so he ends up out in the wilderness of Midian, tending sheep. He's a shepherd for another 40 years. And you see Moses' life goes in stages of 40 years, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years out in the wilderness. And while he's out in the wilderness tending sheep one day, he looks over and he sees a bush that's on fire. But that bush is not burnt up. It's not consumed. And he can't believe what he's seen. And so he goes over to check it out because, I mean, what else are you going to do when you're in the middle of a field with a bunch of sheep? You know, even the smallest thing will really spark your curiosity. And so he goes to check out this bush that's not being burned up. And when he gets over to the bush, the bush speaks to him. And this is God's way of getting his, getting his attention and setting him on mission to go ultimately lead, lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And as, as the bush, God through the bush, is telling Moses what he wants him to do, he says, I want you to go and I want you to convince Pharaoh and I want you to lead the people out. And Moses is uh, rightly insecure about that. <laughs> he, was, he's, he doesn't feel like he's the right person to go do that. He's like, you know, at one point he looks at God and he's like, God, you want me to go speak in front of Moses or under, in front of Pharaoh, but I don't talk so good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not so good. I don't, like, I don't like the lights and I don't like the cameras and I don't like the attention and I, I have a you know, you know, stutter or whatever and he doesn't want to go. And so God's like, that's no problem. We're going to send your brother Aaron. He'll do all the talking for you. Um, but God removes all those excuses. But Moses just, he, he's like, who am I? Who am I? to go stand in front of the nation of Israel after bailing on them and being gone for 40 years. Who am I to lead these people out? What do I say to them? And this is what happens in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So I go and I stand in front of all these people and I tell them that you sent me. And they say, who sent you? What do I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So why? when does God first declare himself, I am? when he is preparing to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and into freedom? When does Jesus proclaim to be the I am to the Pharisees? When he is preparing to lead the people out of slavery and into freedom. It's not an accident. That is what Jesus is declaring. He is declaring when he says before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I am eternal, I am God, and he who believes in me shall not taste death. He is saying that there is freedom for those who are bound up, that there is hope for those who are hopeless, that those who are slaves to sin and controlled by their sin do not have to be, but they can be free in his name. 
And it happens simply by believing, just as John's whole point of his gospel is for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And that by believing, we might have life in his name. And so I want to ask you a simple question. In light of who Jesus claims to be, understanding the difference between the religious establishment that was there at the time and frankly, even the religious establishment that exists around us, being able to see the difference between what they offered and what Jesus offered. Being able to see, we having the benefit of knowing that when Jesus said, when I, was, when I am raised up in front of you, then you will see that I am he. Since we know that Jesus died on the cross and when he did that, he paid in three days later. Since we know that, we see that, we verify that, we believe that. Let me ask you the question. Have you believed that Jesus is the Christ? And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, are you experiencing life in his name? For some of you, it might be saying for the first time, you know what, I do believe I've been fighting this thing for a long time. I've been trying to find every excuse, every reason not to believe. I've been nitpicking this and nitpicking that. And the truth is, it happened. And he is who he is. And the only way that I am going to be forgiven, the only way that I'm going to become a child of God, the only way that I'm going to have eternal life is if I believe that he did what he did. And maybe today, your decision would be to say, I believe. I believe maybe for the first time. Now, there are a lot of us that are watching or here that believed a long time ago, or maybe not too long ago, but you've already believed. You've already put your faith in Jesus. You already believed in him for salvation. But the question we have to answer now day to day is, am I actually experiencing life? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking in the flesh? Am I, am, even though I'm free from chains, am I still walking around like I have them all over me? Am I still making decisions that would lead me out of fellowship with God that would be sinful? That Am I still doing those things? Where are those things? And how do I get those chains off so that I can be free? I want to encourage you today. We're going to spend a few minutes praying, and I'm going to pray for you. And maybe, you know, given our current situation where we are uh, locked up inside of our homes, can't eat at restaurants except to go through the drive-thru at Wendy's, and can't go to school and can't go to work or whatever, maybe this is a great time for us to do some self-reflection, to be able to get a good perspective on our life and to understand what's important and what's not important, where our values might have gotten off track, where we've been making decisions to do things we shouldn't be doing that are leading us out of fellowship with God or out of fellowship with the church. And this is a good time for us to reflect and pray and ask God not only to show us those things, but to show us the way out, but to show us the way to recover, the way to have, have uh, healing and hope. And so uh, what I want to do is we think about Jesus' claim, his offer of freedom. And I was want to pray, and I want to um, uh, take a moment to self-reflect with you and to ask God for guidance, not only for each of us as individuals, but us together as a church. Okay, let's pray again. God, I come to you and uh, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for your son. I know, you know, in the midst of everything that's going on around us, we could easily be distracted. But regardless of what's happening in our world or in our lives, the point is the greatest thing you ever did for us was sending your son to die for us. Because without him, we couldn't pay for our sin ourselves. 
at least not and receive eternal life. And so uh, I thank you that you sent your son. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to give your life on the cross humbly, that you didn't consider your power or position something to be held on to, but you considered us even greater. And so you gave your life. And when you did that, you paid for all of our sin. And any of us, because our sin is paid, any of us can come to you and express our belief in you, trust in you, and you forgive us. And our name is written down in your book, and, and that day comes when you judge at the final judgment. You're going to look and you're going to see our name. And you're going to judge us righteous, not because of what we have done, not because we've been good enough, or we haven't been bad enough. You will judge us righteousness because of your sacrifice on the cross. And so we thank you for that. We believe, Jesus, that you rose again on the third day because death can't hold you and sin has no power over you. And so we trust you for that. There may be someone who's watching this feed with us today for the first time that's saying, I believe that. I do. And God, if they're believing and expressing that to you for the first time today, trusting you for salvation, we know that that's, this is the hinge point in their life. And we ask that you do what you have promised, which you, we trust that you will, that you will forgive them of their sin and send them your spirit to guide them and to walk with them. And I pray for strength and direction for them, that they would experience fellowship within the church and fellowship with you so that they can walk in a way that's faithful to you. For all of us that have made that decision, whether it was years ago or recently, I want to walk with you. And Jesus, we want to walk in freedom, not in chains and not in bondage. We know you are a life giver, not a life taker. And so we trust you for that. So show us, show me, show everybody who's participating in this today. Show them where those things are, where they've kept those chains on or put those chains back on. Show us how to take them off. Through your strength and the power of your spirit, we ask you to take them off. To surround us with people as much as we can right now. To surround us with people who will help keep them off. That will encourage us and move us forward and hold us accountable. So that we can walk more and more and more in your light and in your truth. That we can experience freedom and eternal life now. And no longer follow and listen to our old father. But follow and listen to our new father. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.